John 15 and one of the great passages, which is the vine and the branches, where Jesus outlines really what his part is and what our part is in being uh, wonderfully fruitful. Jesus said, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Other parts of the Bible, Jesus uses the image of um, a yoke, you know, cattle, where the big ox is in the yoke with the little ox. And Jesus said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And then here he's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, we need to be with the big ox for him to be doing most of the pulling. And we need to be connected to the vine because apart from him, it's impossible to do anything. Trouble is, we really struggle with these verses. That Jesus said, we can do nothing. Because actually we spend a lot of our life trying to do something without him. And I think these verses would be incredibly easy to understand if when Jesus said nothing, he literally meant nothing. I mean... If it was literally impossible to do anything without intimacy and connection and relationship with Jesus, if it was literally impossible to do anything, it would be so easy to live dependent, abiding, trusting and connected, wouldn't it? If anything we attempted outside of relationship just simply failed, the whole world would say, of course, the only way to live is connected to the vine. If every time we attempted to do something outside of connection to Jesus, it met an invisible force field and we went, boing, oh, I must be disconnected. I can't move forward. There's something holding me back from that decision or that project because I must be living trying to do something on my own. If that were the case, then Jesus' statement, it's impossible for you to do anything apart from me, would be absolutely easy for you and I to do. It would be easy for us to understand. Because what Jesus doesn't say here, he doesn't say, you can't build a life without me. He can't be saying that because millions and millions and millions and millions of people are building a life right now outside of intimacy, relationship, abiding, connection to Jesus. Loads of people are. He's talking, and we're going to unpack this, that it's impossible to bear a specific type of fruit. It's impossible to bear fruit of God-glorifying, exalting fruit outside of connection to Jesus. It's talking about a very specific type of fruitfulness. Because people around us, all around us, are building incredibly impressive lives without necessarily having a relationship with Jesus. See, I don't buy it when people say, you can't be successful without Jesus. You can't prosper without Jesus. I don't buy it if people present Jesus and say, if you want a successful, fulfilled, satisfying, rich life, come to Jesus. 
That doesn't stack up, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because millions of people all around the world are living incredibly amazing lives outside of intimacy and connection with Jesus. There's something in the world called common grace. It's just grace that's out there. You don't need to know God. You don't need relationship with Jesus to tap into this common grace. Like the radical power of forgiveness. I don't know if Nelson Mandela was a believer in Jesus. I don't know if he was. But I don't know if there's a greater example on the planet in the last hundred years of the radical power of forgiveness and letting go of bitterness. He did that, possibly, because he tapped into common grace principles. If you let it go, if you refuse bitterness, if you refuse revenge, if you let people off the hook, you go free. And he led a nation because... Maybe he tapped into the grace of God that's in the world. Because God is so good. Some people build incredibly brilliant lives because they've just got amazing common sense. They're just brought up in a family where they were taught amazing principles. Of, they were taught to love, they were taught to forgive, they were taught generosity... They bring that with them. I actually really like Alan Sugar. I think he's an interesting guy. I think he, he's got interesting common sense. He's built an impressive life through starting on a Greenwich Market stall, building it up, worked hard, sowed cultivated, stewarded well, took some risks, things worked out amazingly for him. Some people just have a nous, they've just got it. They're entrepreneurial, they're gifted in that way. Some people just get born with amazing human resources. Like one person I won't name who said, I, I, I got a small loan from my dad of a million dollars. That's a lot of human resources. That's a great beginning. Some people just get bought up in families where there's books everywhere. There's cultural stuff everywhere, music. Some people become footballers because dad was a famous footballer. He got cultivated and became successful. You can actually establish a fruitful business. You can establish a fruitful charity There are people in Plumstead who have social consciences who are doing amazing work for the community and they don't necessarily have intimacy and connection with Jesus. They just love well. There's ecological people who just love the planet. Not because they've got any conviction that there's going to be a new heaven and new earth and we're stewarding this world just because they have a conscience. You can meet great parents who don't know Jesus. You can meet great doctors nurses, artists who have no relationship with Jesus. It's actually possible to build a great charity and a great ministry and not live connected to Jesus. I'm not saying about anything, I'm just saying it's possible to build something amazingly impressive without necessarily a relationship with Jesus. 
So Jesus isn't saying when he says you can do nothing, he's not saying that you can't build a good life without him. So we can't present to people a message that says you can't be successful or fruitful or satisfied without Jesus because people are everywhere. And it's a mistake to believe if I'm successful, if I'm moral, if I'm good, that must mean I've got a true connection to Jesus. Doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean that because you're drawing from the vine and you're getting life from him. But a successful life, a fruitful life, a rich life, is not necessarily evidence of connecting faith to the vine of Jesus. It's not, because Jesus is talking about a very, very specific type of fruit that is only possible through intimacy, relationship, and connection to the vine. He talks about some of the tastes of this fruit and what this fruit looks like. It's a fruit, he says, that glorifies the Father. He says in verse 7 of chapter 15, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's a type of fruit that exalts and lifts up and makes a lot of the Father. There's a type of fruit that demonstrates our connection to the vine and shows the world you must be Jesus' disciples. Some people will love you for it. Some people will hate you for it. But your connection to the vine will demonstrate, I am connected to Jesus. I'm a disciple. There's fruit of his joy being in me. He says, now remain in me in verse 9. And now remain in me, in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that your joy that my joy may be in you. My joy. And so you can have a successful life. Build a great business, build a great charity, but there's only through connection to the vine that you get his joy. It can be lots of happiness, lots of pleasure, lots of satisfaction. There's lots of joyful people out there because they grab hold of the common grace practice of gratitude, but that's not the same as living a life with the joy of God himself residing in you. He talks about loving, that my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There's a type of abiding connection to the vine where God rubs off on you where you begin to taste like God. That kind of love is agape love. It's a love that won't let go. It's a tenacious kind of love. It's a love that can't be quenched by circumstances or people or situations. It's the kind of love that caused early disciples to stay in a situation and care for the sick and the dying, even though it exposed them to the very same sickness. And they refused to leave the city because they loved 
with a love that wasn't born on earth, that was born in heaven, that wasn't dependent upon the praise and the glory that comes from men, but was dependent upon agape love that's only possible through connection to the vine. Siri knows. Siri's, Siri's replying. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you, Siri. Keep reminding me. <laughs> There's a kind of connection where he says in verse 14, You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. See, you can get all that other stuff or you can be friends with God. I'm not saying actually, I'm not saying in that that you can't have all that other stuff because sometimes a business breakthrough and success and, and, and significance are fruit that overflows from a person's life through their connection. I'm not saying that the life of following Jesus has to look insignificant, poor and unsuccessful in your work and your business. You can have it all, but what I'm talking about is there's a fruit of friendship that's only possible through this kind of abiding. We can bear fruit. Then he says you can ask for whatever you wish. He says in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That kind of relationship. Psalm, 30 says, for Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think there's a dynamic of relationship with God where the priorities and the heart and the vision and the passion and the goals of the Father so rub off on us that what we want is what he wants. Amen. We're so encultured by the values and the norms and the lived out behaviour of heaven that all we really want is what he wants. Amen. And we begin to ask him for whatever we wish And he does it because what we're wishing is really what's on his heart. And then he says, you'll bear fruit that endures and lasts for eternity. Wow. That fruit that abides forever. Investment that goes on and on and on and on and echoes throughout all eternity is only possible through intimacy and connection. See, a person can have a great life and build a great business and build a great empire and pass a great wealth onto their children. And a person can have a social conscience and do great things for people. But is that going to be something necessarily that lasts and echoes, remains and abides for all eternity? Jesus is saying that kind of abiding fruit is only possible through a relationship with him. Everything else passes. And so Jesus is... The active agent in all of our fruit bearing. You did not choose me. You didn't choose Jesus. You didn't. Maybe you woke up one morning and you thought, I wonder if Jesus is true. He chose you. That question 
was birthed by the Holy Spirit. He chose you. He wanted you. When you were at your worst, when you were enemies, when you were hostile and disinterested and unbelieving, he wanted you. (laughs) So all fruitfulness is birthed in the initiative, the activity of Jesus. I chose you. And then he said, and I appointed you. For what? That you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. He's appointed you to be fruitful. In other words, it is impossible to be connected to the vine and not be fruitful. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. You drop a stone, the law of gravity says, it's going to fall to the ground. It's impossible that it's going to float unless God does an act of gravity-defying practice. It's going to fall. It's impossible to be connected to the vine and not have a fruitful life. It's impossible to not have what Galatians talks about, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of thanksgiving, the fruit of self-control. It's impossible to have, not have the fruit of Galatians 6 growing in your life. We're connected to the vine. Just to say, though, fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. I love what Steve Backland says about the apple tree, walking through the apple tree vineyard, or yard or whatever, the, where apples grow. Orchard. Orchard. <laughs> That's the place. <laughs> Lived in the city so long, I don't know, what, I don't know where apples come from. We just arrive in Tesco and I go, what? There's farms? I've not seen it. And he says he's walking through the orchard and there's an apple tree. And the apple tree's looking a bit depressed and says, am I ever going to grow any apples? Am I ever going to? And it's a baby apple tree. And you can say to the apple tree, yes, you will. You're just little at the moment. You're going to grow. You're going to bud. You're going to blossom. You're going to grow apples. You will. That's who you are. You're an apple tree. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to grow apples. So someone who's a new believer, new in Christ, and just come to know him, you will be fruitful. You will bear fruit. You will taste increasingly like God. His love is going to work in you. You say, I don't know this joy of him being in me yet. It's going to grow. It's impossible for you not to grow when you're in Christ. It's impossible. You will taste like God. You will increasingly love like God. You will increasingly act and behave increasingly like how God acts and behaves and thinks. There will be increasing joy and hope and peace in your life. It will grow and it grows gradually and it grows slowly and it grows by increments and it takes time. It takes time for fruit to grow. Takes time in whatever area. Maybe God's laid on your heart a specific thing, a specific activity, and you're thinking, when's it going to be fruitful? You have to say, 
maybe you're in that early apple stage. You're just a baby tree and it's going to grow. It's going to bud. It's going to blossom. You are going to be fruitful. It's just fruit takes time. And often fruit grows in the context of struggle. Sometimes things take time and sometimes there's struggle and there's a battle for first fruit and sometimes there's a war to get fruit but there's also rest in the vine there's also rest in the life of Jesus that's in you and so it's impossible for us not to be fruitful when we're connected to the vine But also this verse has a lot of things that tell us about who we are and what we need to do in order to be that fruitful vine. There's nowhere in this verse that Jesus said, you're going to be fruitful, it's inevitable, just be passive and wait. There's nowhere he says, well, I'm going to do it all for you. And this is where I think we have to hold these two incredible truths in tension that fruit is an inevitable reality on a person's life who's connected to the vine but we are active agents too Paul says walk by the spirit don't walk by the flesh put on the new man Take off the old man. Romans 6 says, consider, reckon, think about yourself as no other way than I am a dead to sin and alive to God. There's a whole activity. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work to get salvation, but work out what you've got. James says, faith and works go together. Faith without works is dead. There's this dynamic of God's intervention, God's choosing and our choice. So we're not passive agents. And so Jesus talks a lot about in these verses about abiding. Talks about remaining. Talks about obeying. He talks about resting. So he chooses us, loves us and appoints us for fruit But we are so powerful in the relationship, we can choose not to abide. Not to stick close. Not to rest in Jesus. We're that powerful. We have that kind of capacity to choose and not choose. Jesus talks about, if you obey my words... And some of that outworking is to obey in love and to love others. Out of the love we receive, we love. Sometimes we can live a life and we're making hundreds of really stupid choices. Dumb choices. We're numbing our pain, not dealing with it. We're looking at what we shouldn't look at, going where we shouldn't do, prioritising what we shouldn't prioritise, gossiping, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred. And then we come every now and then and say, Jesus, why am I not being fruitful? (laughs) Well, are you actually obeying my word? 
So there's this abiding. I remember being in a meeting 2002, and Terry Virgo, leader of New Frontiers, said this. He said, the only thing that matters is abiding in love. I thought, gee, have you ever heard things you know are so obvious and yet so profound? Set me on a trajectory 17 years. What does it actually mean to abide in love? If that's the only thing that matters is slow down union with Jesus, what on earth does that even look like? I um, received a prophetic word from Julian Adams in 2013, and Julian Adams' word to me was this. He said, you need to take off Saul's armour. Do you remember Saul in the Bible? King and David. The, The king was being challenged by Goliath. And David said, I'll defeat this Philistine. And Saul said, you need to wear my armour. Do you remember that story? And David said, I don't know how to wear your armour. It's too big. It doesn't fit. I don't know how to move in this. I need to do what I normally do, which is use a slingshot. I've, I know how to do that. I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I've got some history with that. And he goes to the river and he picks out smooth stones and, slight and defeats the giant. And Julian Adams says, you need to take off Saul's armour because you're called to be a river man, to find your best weapons in the river. To, to defeat giants of unbelief. And I then spent six years thinking, river man? I, I don't know, what's a river man? I don't know what a river man is. 2011, I received a prophetic word where, in Bethel, where God said, um, it's been, you've, you've stayed in the yoke with me when it, wasn't so, when it wasn't easy. I don't want it to be so hard for you in the future. I'm going to do most of the pulling. But you're going to be in it with me. I'm just going to be doing most of the pulling. Doing most of the pulling? What does that even mean? (laughs) Eight years of wondering. What does that even mean? What's your part? What's my part? I'm I'm at action. I want to do something. Be disciplined and responsible. River? I want to get on with it. Doing most of the pulling? What's this abiding in love? I don't know what you mean. There's so much to do. Welcome to my mind. (laughs) We'd say that, don't let go. When God says something, don't let go. When it gets your attention, if it takes you 17 years, 80, all your life, to understand what he's saying, don't let go. Be tenacious. Be like a dog with a bone. I've got to understand this. And then, recently, I heard another phrase. Have you ever had that? You just hear something and it grips you, arrests you, and you just know, wow. It was a guy talking about emotionally healthy leadership saying, slowed down spirituality. Another place he calls it, slowing down for loving union. So this isn't, message isn't like anything new. We've been talking about intimacy, connection and relationship forever. Just bringing another angle, it, we're bringing another angle in this series of only one thing matters. 
It's a life of saying, I'm not in a hurry. And this is not about how long you have, because some of you in London are in a hurry. (laughs) You get up, you run to the bus. It's a posture of the heart. It's not about... It's not about a quiet time. It's not about daily devotions. It's not about going in the closet with him. It's about a life of slowed down spirituality. A life of pausing for loving union with Jesus. It's a life of saying, I'm no longer in a hurry. I want to connect. I want to draw upon Jesus. It's a life of saying, I'm going to rest in you, I'm going to trust in you, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to abide with you, I'm going to slow down my decision making to draw you in on everything I possibly can, to talk to you, to get your wisdom. Because I'm looking to bear fruit that abides, I'm looking to be your friend, I'm not your servant, I'm, just, I'm not looking just for commands, I'm looking for exchange and relationship, I want to know what's on your heart, I want to exalt and glorify the Father, and I want wherever I go, people to look at my life and say, you must be a follower of Jesus. It means I'm giving you full access to my heart. That's what remaining in his love is. That's what abiding is. That's what going in the river is. That's what being in the yoke is. That's what slowing down is. That's what it means to say it's impossible for me to do anything without you. I'm giving you access to my heart. I'm going to be honestly real with you. It's getting off the religious treadmill. It's getting off it once and for all. I love this thing from Melissa Helzer. She does this preach where she talks about being on the treadmill. And she says, Jesus is over here and I'm on the treadmill. And I'm hearing, I'm saying, Jesus, she's saying to herself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I'm doing my best. I'm running as fast as I can. And Jesus is always just out of reach and you never feel you're doing good enough. That's what many of us, our faith is really like. He's a little annoyed. He's a little ticked off. I'm running as fast as I can. I'm doing the best as I can. And he's always just out of reach. And we never, ever feel that we get near him. Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. It doesn't get any more connected than that. He's in us, with us, connected to him. So it's slowing down and giving Jesus full access to our hearts. It's telling him our fears. It's being honest and authentic and real. It's telling him about our dreams. It's telling him about the longings we have, the areas of our life we long to be satisfied. It's letting him in. It's telling about our motivation. It's being known. It's living accessible to God. That is the invitation to anyone who wants to follow Jesus. I'm going to be known by you. I'm going to be accessible to you. I'm going to draw on your love, your wisdom. I'm going to be obedient to your voice. I want to be known by you. We sometimes say, when did you come to know the Lord? Maybe another question could be, when did the Lord come to know you? Doing the best I can. Doing the best I can. Performing, performing, performing. What do you really feel? 
What do you really think? Can I really know you? And we can say, know me? You know every hair on my head. You knew me before I was born. You knew me. You know when I'm going to die. You know everything about me. No, but do I know you? Do I know you? Have you opened up your heart so that I can know you, so that we can commune, so that we can exchange, so that we can be in relationship, so that we can be connected? We can say, no, I'm doing all this busy, great stuff for you. No, I, do I know you? Do I know you? That connection is built on surrender. Its foundation is surrender. It's your work, your way, your timing, your method, you can prove me, you can delay, you can do it any way you want. I want you. Hallelujah. See, I think we're dreaming with God. The journey is this. We write a hundred odd dreams down, and they're fun dreams, amazing dreams, so that we can know that the Father is good. So that we can know that the Father is good. He teaches us about his goodness And we're asking for this and we're seeing him break in and we're seeing him supply in order that the ultimate expression of dreaming with God is complete abandonment and surrender of all your dreams. That's why I think it starts with, I've just got to know he's attentive. I've just got to know he sees. I've just got to know he understands. I'm going to tell him every dream. Until we come to a place of, I actually don't care anymore. I want your work, your way, your timing, your method, you can prune me, you can do what you want, but I want to have you, and I want to bear the fruit that you've portioned me to bear. And then that becomes the only thing we care about. What do you really want? And then this intimacy, connection, relationship, trust. He says, what do you wish? Well, you know what? I don't really want a whole lot. I do want to know you, though. And I do want to connect to you and I do want to be known by you and I do want to be real with you and I do want to trust you and I do want to believe in you and I do want to slow down for intimacy and connection with you. I want to live your dream for my life. So in conclusion, this relationship, this series is not about adding one more thing to an already busy life. It's actually stripping everything completely away and saying, you know what? The only thing that absolutely matters is you. And Jesus said, I've appointed you to bear fruit. So it's not some kind of artificial choice between I get Jesus and I won't be fruitful. It's you get Jesus and you're going to bear this amazing, beautiful kingdom fruit everywhere you go. It's, It's a... A relationship. It's an invitation to make a complete U-turn in your life. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is I'm completely turning around from all of my previous priorities. Repentance is I'm changing the way I relate to you. You and I, God, are relating completely differently from this moment onwards. It's, it's all changing. That's what coming to Jesus is and it grows over time. It's a U-turn from autopilot spirituality to saying it's got to result in genuine connection. It's a returning to the work we did at first. I want to find, land it with this because some people right now will be hearing what I'm not saying. 
Because some people will be thinking, am I even a believer? Or can I lose my... Can I lose my salvation? Is Jesus saying when he says he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit and he prunes and and he throws branches into the fire, is he saying that if I'm not bearing this kind of kingdom fruit and if I'm not loving him like this, am I about to be cut off? And I want to read you a couple of verses. One of them's in John 10 and verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life that they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. All those the Father gives, he says in John chapter 6, in verse 37, all those the Father gives will, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That Jesus never casts off, he never cuts off. See, I think Jesus is a bit more like a sculptor. He saves us and redeems us and gives us a new heart and we look at the beginning like a big old lump of concrete. But he sees what he saw in the beginning and he sees what you are becoming and he sees where you're going and then he lovingly taps and taps And he redeems struggles and pain and difficulty. And he takes trials and he forms himself in you. Bit by bit, tap, 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 tap. Going to talk to you on your bike ride. Tap, tap. Going to give you that word that's going to provoke something in you. And he's never frustrated because he knows the process. He knows the process. He knows the time it takes. And so our decision to connect to him is never because of fret and it's never because of fear. It's because of the glorious invitation that he makes for the kind of life he wants us to have.